0: So normally I'm downstairs with kids, uh, all the high schoolers I recognize. If you've been here since you were in Kidtown, I was with you when you were in Kidtown. So it's a little bit of an adjustment. I was, you know, when Sam asked, like, hey, you're preaching on Sunday, I was thinking, how many graham crackers are we going to have to have for snack time? And then, man, for the icebreaker activity, if we do anything remotely aggressive, like we can't do dodgeball, the high schoolers are going to lose their minds. And then, uh, then, okay, so no, Sunday's different. We don't play dodgeball. We don't do graham crackers. But praise the Lord, we're gonna open the word together. Amen? All right, so turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter four. We're gonna be hanging out in 2 Kings four and five and talking about the love of God. That's the focus of our morning this morning. Um, and if 2 Kings four and five is familiar, it's because a couple weeks ago on Giving Tuesday, it was also family missionary prayer night. And James 5 taught from 2 Kings 4 and 5 about a guy named Naaman. So if you were here, you remember Naaman. We're going to focus our message today on a guy named Gehazi. He's going to be the the person to teach us about the love of God. And what's interesting is if if you remember the story of Naaman, Naaman was someone that humbled himself in order to have a right relationship with God. And, And we're going to see that Gehazi had the opposite path. He was somebody that had everything going for him and ultimately, at the end of his life, he took a different way. So just by way of review, if you remember Naaman, it's, it's worth the context of, of the general story of, of Naaman's life. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse one, we see that Naaman was the captain of the host of the king of Syria, a great man with his master, the king, and honorable. And then at the end of the verse, it says, but was a leper. And I, and I thought about this too. I, in preparation of the message, I looked up pictures of leprosy and my official position from the pulpit is don't do that. That's not, like I'm not gonna abuse the pulpit and be like, go look at those things, because it's, man, it's rough. So the, the skin, the, the white, the disease is a painful thing. It does help you better understand Deuteronomy if you look it up, but from the pulpit, not a good idea. All right, um, so I, I looked it up, though, and I saw Naaman, I realized where he was at, and he was a man that was in the, in the court of a king, but he had this disease that represents sin. And in order for him to be healed from that, he he went through a journey of humility. And so he heard from a little girl that there was a prophet in Israel who could do miracles, who could do the work of God. And this little girl was was a captive, and, and he listened to this and found his way to that man of God whose name was Elisha. And Elisha, that little girl, that knew about Elisha wouldn't have known him pers- like personally. Instead, it would have been one of those stories, sort of how we have like Santa Claus is this magic figure, except Elisha was real, and God did miracles through him in the nation of Israel. If God was talking to someone in Israel or Judea, then God was using Elisha in this time. And so Naaman finds his way to Elisha, but it's not quite what he expected. He's this mighty man. Syria and Israel were kind of in conflict, and so he would have been, you know, it'd be the equivalent for us as if, uh, you know, we wouldn't recognize him, but someone walks in and sits in the back of the sanctuary, and then all the WhatsApp groups go off, and everyone's looking around, and they're like, dude, someone's saying there's a Russian warlord in the room. And And so the Kaya chat would be exploding. Melissa would make a meme out of it. And we would see, okay, there's this person that's important in this room. And, and so Naaman shows up with Elisha, but instead of Elisha greeting him and giving him honor, like Naaman expected, uh, instead it was a messenger. So let's, we, you know, Ethan Slagenbush shows up and he's like, hey, by the way, Mr. Oligarch, you're supposed to go bathe in Brush Creek seven times. And that's the official, that's the word of the Lord in this guy's life. So Naaman gets frustrated because a messenger of Elisha tells him to go bathe in the river Jordan seven times. Jordan's not the nicest river, so I feel like Brush Creek is a good parallel. Not the nicest creek. If you ask me to go take a bath and I don't care if it's 100 degrees outside. It's got stuff in it, so I'm out. <laughs> Uh, But Naaman, once again, his servants have his heart, and so he he decides, he says, he humbles himself and goes and bathes in that water. And after he bathes in that water, it says he comes out of it and his skin is clean like a child. He's healed. And so in, in a nutshell, that's the story of Naaman, and it's a beautiful thing. We could look at the example of Naaman and go, ooh, yeah, we wanna be like that. But we're gonna look at a different man. His name's Gehazi. And Gehazi started off a servant of Elisha. He's, he's the person that was doing the work of God. He had every benefit, every advantage in the ministry. We're looking at that time, and, and if we had to transport ourselves back to the nation of Israel when Elisha was around, we would want to be in the same place Gehazi is, a servant of Elisha, right? Also, Elisha did miracles like calling down fire and stuff. So just selfishly, I'm like, I want to see fire get called down. That's a cool thing. That's not relatable. We don't, come on guys, be relatable. It's okay to want to see miracles of God. If we had to put ourselves in Israel, Gehazi is the place to be, but at, at the end of the day, man, it showed that he did not have the love of God. His affections were set on the wrong thing. And that same leprosy that Naaman started his day with when he was healed in the river, Gehazi ended his day with. He has the opposite journey. Uh, it's worth us looking at as a church on, on how to avoid that, right? The, the man with every advantage seems like everything's going great. He's serving the Lord. And then because of his heart posture, because of his motivation, he ended with leprosy. The, the sin on the inside was shown on the outside. Man, church, let's, let's look and see how we can avoid the trap of Gehazi. Um, pray with me. God, we do ask that you would teach us, Lord, we're your people. We're your servants. We, we want to be used by you. We, we love you, and we ask that you would mold us into your image more this morning. God, show us if there's error in our ways through your word. Let us see what you're teaching us from 2 Kings 4 and 5, and, and God, let us hear it and learn it and hold it in our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing we're going to see is the introduction to Gehazi. The, the point that we're going to look at is ministering with the wrong heart can look a lot like ministering with the right heart. Ministering with the wrong heart can look a lot like ministering with the right heart. And when we're introduced to Gehazi, I'm just going to give you a spoiler. Everything looks great. I didn't find any problems with his introduction. Turn back one page, 2 Kings chapter 4. The first time he is mentioned is 2 Kings 4.12. And he, Elisha, said to Gehazi his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And before we even get to what the conversation looked like or anything, we already see a few things from this passage. First, Gehazi is described as the servant of Elisha. Good job, Gehazi. That's a good description. If you want to be called someone in Israel, you have a title, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, is a good spot to be. All right? All right. Also, we see that Gehazi is ministering alongside Elisha. So so Elisha Elisha was the prophet. He would travel throughout Israel in kind of a loop in the the neighboring regions. And as he passed through a location called Shunem, he would stay with a woman who's a Shunemite woman. We never see her name, but if you hear people talk about the Shunemite woman, this is the lady in the Bible that he's talking about. And so, as Elisha would travel, Gehazi would travel with him. They, they would go through Shunem regularly enough that this woman had built him a little room. And so, if I don't know if we still need mission focus hosting, but this is like old testament missionary f- mission focus hosting, except only Elisha, whenever he wanted, and then Gehazi went along with him. All right. So sign up for mission focus hosting if you're thinking about it. As they would travel through, he and he and Gehazi they would minister to people, and, and it came that after a time, as they've been traveling this way regularly, that they wanted to bless this woman. So Elisha says to Gehazi in verse 13, he says, okay, Gehazi, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. She's like, I'm I'm okay with the people that I'm with. You don't have to talk to me, to the king. But notice what happened is is this is Elisha speaking through Gehazi. Gehazi's getting equipped in ministry. If you've been at Midtown for a while, you kind of have seen this process carried out. All the time, we'll run into situations in ministry. You've decided to follow God. You're like, yeah, I'm gonna count for the kingdom. If you're in Kidtown, you're teaching kids. If you're in a Bible study, you're, you're doing evangelism or ministering to neighbors or whatever. And then a situation comes up where you go, oh, what are we supposed to do here? Or, or one of your authorities in ministry tells you, hey, I've got a project for you. I've got some ministry. Let's minister to this person. And there's coaching that happens. And so Gehazi is being coached. He's teachable. He's obedient. He's hearing what Elisha says. He's saying what Elisha asked him to say. In verse 14, Elisha said, and he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he, Elisha, said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, this is Elisha talking now, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. But verse 17 says, The woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. So whose idea was it that this woman would have a son? I'm Ge- uh, going look again. It's Gehazi's idea, right? I heard Jesus whispered. Yeah, I think I have to say yes, but Gehazi is the answer I'm looking for, right? It was Gehazi's idea, so I, I need us to get this. I need us to get Gehazi's life, because as, as we already know, uh, you know, I told you what the end was. Um, we know that Gehazi is going to end up leprous, <coughs> in sin but at this point everything looks great not only is he in a good position he's obedient he's got a biblical leader but now we're seeing he has insight into the word of god towards man and and the ideas that he has he says this woman man she needs a son and then the man of god's like yeah gehazi that's it and so they pray and the blessing that god gives this woman through a miracle is a son gehazi has a great position and in fact, when I was originally working on the message, I thought about you know, trying to hide the, hide the ball at the end and like paint Gehazi as a, as a good guy through and then it'd be a surprise when he failed, but it didn't work. It made the message too complicated. Uh, and this next part, I was looking for red flags in the life of Gehazi. I was, I was trying to like, drop some hints that he's gonna mess things up. But man, e- even when we're looking at the, the parts of the story that, that I tried to find blame, Gehazi lives a life that seems like it's great, because this woman has the son, the son grows up, and as the son grows up, the, the, you know, they continue to visit the Shunammite woman, they continue to pass along. Gehazi continues to minister with Elisha. This is years later now. And we see in the rest of the chapter that the son dies. And as this, the son passes away, the, the mom knows where she needs to go for healing. In verse Twenty-four of 2 Kings chapter 4, she saddled an ass and said to her servant, drive, go forward, slack not thy writing from me except I bid thee. We have to get to this man of God. This is where the son came from. He can heal this son. And so she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, yonder is that Shunammite. And so if we're putting ourselves in this story, you've got Gehazi and and Elisha, and they're standing there talking. They're on Mount Carmel. They're looking out, and then one of them would point out, dude, there's a donkey that's hauling over there. Someone is running fast, and they're both looking at it, and then I guess Elisha had a little bit better eyesight than Gehazi, because he's like, that's the Shunammite woman. She's on her way, and so he told Gehazi once again, Elisha's the same, always equipping in ministry. He's like, Gehazi, okay, go talk to her, and you, what, you, what you wanna do is, in verse 26, he says you wanna ask her, is she okay? Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? Go check, because she's sprinting at us on a donkey. The donkey is sprinting. She's riding the donkey. And there's a servant there, too, if you want the proper picture. But they're coming at us, and so, man, you need to go find out what's wrong. And so Gehazi, in chapter 26, goes, and he runs to meet her, and he he said to her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with a child? And she answered, in verse 26, it is well. Which it's not well. We know that. Her son is dead. What this means is that she's not wanting to talk to Gehazi in that moment. She's going to run right by him. And this is what happens. In verse 27, when she came to the man of God, that's who she was after, to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And so initially, I I was gonna talk like, see, look, this woman fell on Elisha's feet and Gehazi's gonna pull her off and, and man, he doesn't have forgiveness, he doesn't have mercy for this poor lady. But then I put, like as I was thinking through it, I'm like, if Sam is preaching, or whoever's preaching, Sam's here after the message, let's say, and someone sprints into the room and jumps on his legs, I mean, we're gonna pull that woman off of Sam, right? Like, you know what we're gonna do. We're not gonna be like, she must be vexed in spirit. We'd be like, girl, what are you doing? Get out. So, so Gehazi does that, man, he's not, and, and I can't put blame on him for this, but what we do know is that Elisha sees, Elisha sees what's happening. The man of God said, let her alone. Hey, it's okay, for her soul is vexed within her and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Elisha's got insight. He sees, he says, okay, something's going on and God hasn't supernaturally told Elisha this as God had supernaturally told Elisha things before. And, and after that, man, this Gehazi does well through this whole story. Elisha sends him with his staff to the son who was passed away and and said, man, put the staff on the face, and and Ghazi obeyed immediately. He ran and did what he was supposed to do. We don't see any disobedience. We don't see any great wicked root of sin in his life at this point. Man, the guy's submitted. He's anointed. uh, He's got insight. He's in that position in ministry where you would think he would be the next guy to take the mantle. You guys know how Elijah passed the mantle of ministry to Elisha, right? Elijah was the prophet in Israel. He was the one that God spoke through, and he had a disciple that went with him named Elisha, and, and there was a literal passing of the mantle. It's where we get that phrase where Elijah gave his mantle of ministry to Elisha, and then God worked in Elisha doing the same things Elijah did and if we're just reading this part of the Bible, we're going, Gehazi's probably the next guy in that line. It'll, it'll be Elijah, Elisha, Eli, Gehazia, Elijah. It'd probably just be Gehazi. I don't actually think the name's part of it. But Gehazi would be the next guy in that line. And, and that's kind of what we would be being set up for. But man, what we see is our next point is that a wrong motivation will lead to a sin of opportunity. Gehazi has a biblical authority who taught and enabled and mentored him. He had insight into the word of God and into people. He had a position in ministry. He had an obedient and submitted heart. All of these things are great. But then came the day that Naaman was healed from his leprosy. And this is where chapter five kicks off. I already told you what brought Naaman, the the mighty man from Syria to the place of Elisha. And, and we saw how that ended in, in 2 Kings 5.14. And then he, Naaman, went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and all his company and came and stood before him. And he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant, Man, let me give you something. You've healed me of leprosy. And Elisha, and he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He's trying to, Naaman's trying to pay Elisha for the healing, and Elisha makes it clear that this is not what it's about. It's about being a servant of God and a follower of God, says Elisha. And and, and that was his focus. And so, man, it's it's not an exchange of money. That's going to be the the way miracles happen. And so in verse 19, he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. And, And so Naaman begins to leave. And this, in verse 20, is the second saddest verse in the entire life of Gehazi. I think there's one personally more sad to me that comes later, but this is, this is where everything goes wrong and it all unravels. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, behold, my master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. And suddenly you see in this verse, there's all kinds of problems in that verse. Well, what, what are you doing, Gehazi? You, you had everything going for you, but now suddenly you're saying, oh yeah, my master hath spared Naaman the Syrian, like we deserve payment for what we're doing. Man, we didn't get what we deserve. We didn't get what's owed to us. Not only that, you know, he, he says, this Syrian, okay, what, what does that mean? And he says, as the Lord liveth, he's using the Lord's name in this thing. And so Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? Notice how how beautiful the Bible is. It's, It's a poetic book. One chapter prior, Elisha and Gehazi were looking at this woman who was running, and Gehazi was the one, the servant of God that was sent to say, hey, is everything okay? Is all well? And now, Instead of running for the, the life of their child, Gehazi is running after this man for earthly riches. And the man gets down and says, is all well? And Gehazi had the same answer as the woman, but a very different heart. In verse 22, he says, all is well. My master hath sent me, lie, saying, behold, even now there become to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. That's a lie. There were no two young men. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, "Be content. Take two talents. If there's two of them, we'll give we'll give them each a bag of money." And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and, and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he had come to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them. He hid them in the house and he let the men go and they departed. he had the wrong motivation. And when this opportunity to sin showed up, there's a man that just is giving exactly what Gehazi actually wants from this. Gehazi says, man, we're sparing him what we're actually doing this for. All all these possessions, the things that we could get, the recognition. Gehazi's focus is wrong. And because Gehazi's focus is wrong, whenever this opportunity shows up and Naaman is freely giving everything that Gehazi wanted, man, Gehazi crumbles, and suddenly we see what's been on the inside. We see that he's actually missing the proper motivation of the love of God. And so in, in this one short bit, it's not just that he takes something. We see that, man, he's he's a liar. He lied several times. He used God's name in vain. He said, As the Lord liveth, I'm gonna go steal this person's stuff. He's a thief. I mean, what happened? Just, just a couple verses ago, it's like it's important that we actually recognize the difference between the introduction of Gehazi, where he's got seemingly every advantage in ministry, and now, out of seemingly nowhere, Gehazi is full of sin. A wrong motivation will lead to a sin of opportunity. It's, it's revealed what's on the inside. And then he comes to Elisha, and we're gonna see that a wrong motivation will lead to a wrong response to correction. You cannot respond to correction properly if you're motivated the wrong way. In verse 25, he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Hey, Gehazi, where'd you go? And Gehazi said, Thy servant went no whither. He had that classic guilty response, right? The same response that Adam and Eve had. They hid, in the, they hid in the garden, right? If you have kids, you know this response. Hey, what did you do? Nothing. Did you do the thing you're not supposed to do? Uh-uh, I was here the whole time. I never, I've been right in this chair. And then the half-eaten chocolate cake is right behind them, right? It's, it's the natural response of someone, and, and Gehazi Gah- gives this response because he's got the wrong idea. You see, in Gehazi's mind, he's got this ministry, and, and Elisha's going to reveal the things that he actually wants in the next verse, but as, as long as Elisha doesn't know the problem, in Gehazi's mind, there is no problem. Man, I, I did this sin, I did this thing, but I'm hiding it, and if I show up with Elisha, and Elisha, if the conversation would have gone, Gehazi, where'd you go? Oh, nowhere, bathroom. And Elisha went, cool, all right, sweet. And that was the end of it, Gehazi would feel great because he's not actually motivated by the right thing, and so whenever he is in sin, he has a wrong response. He says nothing went wrong. And and it's important for us to recognize that there is an actual proper response. I use David for this all the time because David was confronted with his sin many times in the Bible. And David had an actual heart for the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. He actually cared about the God in heaven and his relationship with him. And so in, in 2 Samuel 24, 10, when David discovered that he had sinned, by numbering the people, by disobeying God's instructions in Deuteronomy, and by numbering all of the people in Israel, the Bible says David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. He didn't say, oh, nothing's wrong. Man, he felt it. And David said unto the Lord, Lord, I have sinned greatly, in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Man, David David had a good heart. Gehazi said, nothing's wrong. David said, I have sinned, and later when there's consequence for that sin, and there's a plague on his nation, and, and, and people are dying, David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people, and said, lo, I have sinned and have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. Because David loved God, he loved David's people, his response to sin was appropriate, which is, God, forgive me because this is the thing that's important and I have to be right with you and therefore, the moment I become aware of my sin, oh God, forgive me. Gehazi didn't seem to care about those things. And in fact, Elisha tells Gehazi in verse 26, he he addresses the issue in Gehazi's heart. Elisha said unto him, whence comest thou Gehazi? And he said, thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money, and to receive garments, and oliveyards and vineyards and sheep, and oxen, and men servants, and maid servants? The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee, and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Elisha's response was, is this it, Gehazi? Is, is this a time? Is, is this what we're focused on? Is this a time to receive money and garments? Is this a time where we're supposed to be focused on olive yards and vineyards, all, all the things you can get for yourself? And Gehazi's inside was revealed on his skin, and, and, and his outside matched the sin on, inside of him. And, and I want us to notice, again here, there's, there's something worth mentioning, that that entire list of, of things that Gehazi was looking for, the potential things he could receive. That entire list is full of things that aren't inherently bad. None of those things in there by themselves are wickedness or, or a bad goal. In fact, if, if, if someone came to me and said, man, biblically I, I wanna be able to, to give money to the Lord, that's actually an okay thing. We, we see it talked about positively, the woman who gave her two mites to God. Man, Jesus spoke about that positively. It's First Timothy 6.10 that tells us the love of money is the root of all evil. Garments, most of the time when we're talking about garments biblically, it's, it's robes white, washed by the blood of the lamb. Those are good things to seek. We, we want to have in eternity robes washed by the blood of the lamb. Olive, olive yards and vineyards, those, those represent ministry, and Gehazi and Elisha were both ministering in Israel but that can represent the work that God has for you to do. Sheep and oxen, man, those are we're shepherding. Those are, those are people that we minister over in ministry. If you've been at Midtown, maybe you're a Bible study leader, maybe you're a fellowship leader. Man, it's a good thing to seek for your fellowship to grow and for, for God to be working there. It's a good thing. Man, manservants, maidservants, none of those things, none of them by themselves are actually something to look at and go, that was Gehazi's problem. Ghazi wanted garments. Ah, yeah. That was the sin, man, when he chased after Naaman to get physical possessions. But it had grown because his goal was not aligned with God's heart. He wanted a bunch of good stuff in ministry, things that, I, that, that we wouldn't necessarily condemn, but because he didn't have the love of God, man, the sin of opportunity came and he took it. The opportunity came to repent to ask for forgiveness, and he left that. He got two sets of garments and two talents of silver and leprosy. This is where we're going to get to what I think is the saddest part of Gehazi's life because he shows up only one more time in the Bible, a couple pages later in 2 Kings chapter 8. This is the part that grieves me the most. In verse chapter 4, and the king, this is the king of of Israel, and the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. This is the saddest one for me. Because if you remember where Naaman started his story, he was a leper in the court of a king. And, and he humbled himself in order to be cleansed from it. And Gehazi, the person who started, I mean, he, he had everything in ministry. And here he is at the end of his life. He's not with Elisha. He's with the king. He's, he, he got the recognition that he wanted. you would probably be wealthy if you're in the court of the king. He got the stuff that he wanted. And, and they're just sitting there talking about the good old days when God used to work. Hey Hey, remember... Remember when you were with Elisha what it felt like for God to use you. Remember what that was. That's the saddest verse for me because it tells us that Gehazi never repented. And, and as Gehazi was telling, the Shunammite woman came. They they'd traveled for a while and lost their house. And so, man, they came and, and the king said, oh, this is the Shunammite woman and gave her land back. And the, the Shunammite woman, her story ended well. But that's it for Gehazi. We don't hear anything else. We we see that a wrong motivation led to a fruitless life. So that's it. And then who got the mantle of Elisha after that? We don't know. It's not mentioned in the Bible. Biblically, that's that's it for that direct line of discipleship. And so as as I was reading this, man, it was I was it's kind of a heavy thing for me because uh, I work in Kidtown. And so I, I look at the passing on of the mantle and I, and I take it pretty serious and I see that everything looked great for Gehazi, but because he was focused on the wrong rewards, because he was motivated by the wrong things, not motivated by the love of God, then, then man, he dropped the ball. And, and as I began to look at examples of this in the Bible, I noticed that that is not the exception biblically. I mean, think about it with me. Look throughout the Old Testament. When has the word of God been mightily used in the lives of men for multiple generations? I used David as a good example earlier. He was, man, you you can't look in the Old Testament and not see what a pillar David was for those that follow the Lord. And David's son Solomon, man, he he carried on that. He built the temple. Solomon had great offense. He, He constructed the temple, but he had bad defense. His wives carried away his heart. And, and then their kids split the kingdom. Moses, man, this is the man that God gave 10 commandments to. He led the nation of Israel throughout the wilderness. Moses equipped Joshua, and Joshua equipped, the, who else? Caleb was a contemporary, right? Caleb was a peer, but after Joshua, and then, and then as I looked more and more, I'm, I'm starting to look at this, and it grieves me because you have Elish, Elijah, Elisha, and Gehazi dropped the ball. There's nobody, David, Solomon, who? Moses, Joshua, who? You know, Noah built an ark to save humanity. How did Noah's kids do? How did Eli's kids do? The high priest, Eli had two kids, what was up with them? And you think, well, but Eli equipped Samuel. Okay, in First Samuel, how did Samuel's kids do? That's the reason we have kings in the first place. Man, I looked through the Old Testament and what I see is it is hard to pass on that mantle from generation to generation. It's a difficult thing, church. And and it kind of terrifies me personally because I work with kids. If I put myself in this story, and, and many of us can do the same thing. Okay, I'm learning from the pastors. I'm submitted to the fellowship leaders, the, the, the spiritual authority in my life. Okay, I'm being taught. And I'm also teaching those kids. That's one, two, three generations. Man, the default setting is, is these kids will fall into the trap of Gehazi, except we warn them. Amen. It turns out, we have this on the wall. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, Paul says to Timothy, Man, I get it. Praise the Lord. I'm learning. Paul, I've got Pauls in my life, and I'm Timothy. The same commit thou to faithful men. Man, I'm teaching these kids. We get to teach those. If you're in a Bible study, man, you can come alongside those and mentor those in your Bible study. Whatever capacity your ministry is, you're teaching. It's that last part that's the hard part. Who shall be able to teach others also? Because in the entire Old Testament, I found it twice, maybe, there's one line of kings of Judah that has four of them that didn't forsake the Lord all the way. That the Bible says they, they followed the Lord. And then I, I found Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And if you look at Jacob's life, that, that came through some trial. That's a scary thing because I love those kids. Our church is young. We're 16 years old. We we haven't been doing this for generations. And when we consider this, when we consider how we pray about this kind of thing, when we consider about what ministry and discipleship and and equipping the work and multiplying the work of God looks like, we have to ask ourselves, where were all the Midtowns that started 200 years ago? Where's where's the churches? And if you're older, maybe uh, if you haven't been coming to Midtown your whole life, kind of, you know, I've been here most of mine, but if this isn't your only church, then think back to the churches you came from. What happened? guys, it can look really great. Gehazi had everything going. He was obedient, submitted. He had the word. He had the mentor. And over time, he was there. But when it came time for a trial of his heart, it was revealed that he wasn't functioning in the love of God, and it led to a fruitless life where he talked about the time he used to be with the man who served the Lord. Guys, that can't be our story. I mean, I, I, it can. And we have to be desperate to ask the Lord on how to avoid it. Um, so this is, this is my start. I, I had the, uh, the path of Gehazi and I was right in the middle of it, man. Uh, in 2016, there was a trip to Malawi. Mark Trotter got up at Mission Focus and, and Mark Trotter is a, a pastor of pastors in the Living Faith Fellowship. And, and this man who I looked up to, he, get up, he got up and said, hey, we're going to Malawi, you should come with us. And so I'd saved up some money. I was like, yeah, man, I'm going on this trip. Let's do it. I'm I'm here for it. And it wasn't until I got on that trip I realized it was me and a bunch, it was like me, a couple other young people, and then a bunch of pastors were on this trip. And young Andrew was like, this is the best ever. I love pastors. This is great. And I was excited about it. And on that trip, I, I remember it. I, I, I wrote, I don't write in journals very often as much as I should, but I have a journal from that because I was talking about how awesome the trip was. They were telling stories, and man, it seemed like everything I did was kind of great. I was, I was getting so much approval of that trip. Like I was sitting in the back of the car and bouncing around and writing in a journal, and one of the guys took a picture of it and was like, yeah, God's good. And I got to preach to widows, and um, it was to the point, it was almost silly, because I, so I'm not a music guy, right? Like Chance gets on me all the time. If uh, He says, like, do you like classic rock? And I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know music, but I got a new iPad, a little mini one, and I put the only, uh, because I was a nerd, I liked Guardians of the Galaxy, so I downloaded the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack on it, all the music I had, not one mercy me, no praise, just <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, so we're, we're driving in this bus in Malawi, and Mark says, like, hey, Andrew, do you want to put on some music? And I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Don't know what this is, so I put on this, and he starts singing along to the songs, and he, after a couple of songs, he's like, Andrew, you like the kind of music that I like, and I'm like, yes, Pastor Mark, I do. <laughs> Absolutely, I do. This is where, and so, I, man, it was, it was a good trip. Young Andrew, this was a time when I was like, I was trying to take a mission trip to a different place every year. I wanted to be that missionary. I wanted to be approved by the pastors. I was motivated by it. I was, I was excited and every day that passed, I got more and more excited about this trip, about the ministry. That's where it gets hard to tell. The last day before we left, um, we were picking up large 40, 50 pound bags of corn maize and we were passing, we were giving them to pastors. They would put them on their bicycles and carry them off uh, to their villages, right? And it was a blessing from us to them as pastors. So I was, I was there, we were sweaty, we were moving, and, and the conference had just finished. They were preaching to these 300 pastors, and Mark comes, and it, and it was the pinnacle of everything that I'd been working for because Mark says, Andrew, hey, I'm gonna take a video. Why don't you tell the folks back in KC what it is God's doing here? And so he gets up and he, it's hot. He pushes the button, gives me the thumbs up. And my, my response was to look at the camera and to, uh, to put my thumbs in my chest. And I said, hey, Midtown, this is what ministry looks like. You know, and I, and I, I talked a little bit about what god was doing on the trip kind of what the what the structure of it was but the moment that i that i said that and the moment my thumb hit my chest you know i could read body language and and mark was really good at communicating with his with his shoulders and his and his facial expressions and i watched as as he kind of just went his shoulder you know the little shoulder drop and and afterwards he turned off the video he's like all right thanks man And that whole day, at the end of the day, I was sitting there thinking like, well, that wasn't, I, I expected, awesome, yeah, Andrew, that is, we can show them, and, and that started a couple months of me praying and trying to figure out, God, what am I missing? Well, I'm, I, like I'm here I am in a foreign country preaching, doing all this stuff, it's awesome. This People should want to look like what I look like, right? And I'd, I'd fallen into the pit of Gehazi, and I'm really grateful that at that fall retreat two months later, um, Dan Renault had preached about discipleship and the heart that we should have for discipleship. And, he, and he'd asked, who in your Bibles, who, who are you ministering to? That you have their heart and they have yours and you're imparting to them the word of God and you're sharing life with them. Who, who do you have the love of God with? And I was being really impressive in ministry all by myself. I, I was missing the love of God. And that was, that was a transforming moment in my life and I'm grateful for it because otherwise I'm, I mean, I'd I be like Gehazi. I'd be here in this church saying the right things, doing the right things, having the right things until one day you guys would be talking about me saying, man, what happened to Andrew? Where did that come from? And we can think of people in this church that that's happened to recently. You can't miss the love of God, church. The love of God, biblically, it is inexcusable to miss it. The Pharisees asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. John told us in 1 John 4, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. Church, if we've missed love, we've missed God. We can be doing everything right, and if we don't get that this love is key and vital and the first commandment, then we're gonna miss everything else. By this we know, says 1 John 5, 2, that we have the love of the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Guys, you can't miss it. The Bible's very clear. It states it so clearly that we have to pay attention to it. And then when we do, it transforms everything. It transforms the way that we minister. If if you want to know about the love of God, God uses the words love and charity, charity interchangeably. And 1 Corinthians 13 is the place to go. And, and what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us is exactly why Gehazi failed. It tells us what the problem is because it says in verse one, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's an annoying sound if you speak without the love of God. At least I assume. If I was playing the brass and the cymbal, it would be annoying. If you, you can talk as good as you want to talk and say the right things, but if you don't have love, man, it's useless. Verse two tells us abilities and gifts are useless without love. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I've got my Bible down. Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing, says Paul. The things that we're tempted to focus on, especially growing up in church and learning from those that we see exhibit biblical qualities, what Gehazi was tempted to focus on is nothing if we don't have charity. Verse 3, ministry is useless without love. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Church, we're focused so often on the wrong things because the things that we can see, the good things that we can see, man, can be manufactured. It is possible to minister in a church and look like things are great when your heart is far from God. Not only is it possible, look at the history of, look at the Old Testament, look at the churches around us. It is the default settings. If we don't get God's love, then man, our church is gonna produce a lot of people like Gehazi, where it seems like it's going great until it's not. And then one day, we end up talking about the times that God used to work. Man, I I work with kids. (laughs) Look at the end of, of, of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. It says, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. You don't have to pick, praise the Lord. But this is what Paul wants you to realize, is if you had to pick between being, I mean, these are good things, a faithful man or a loving man, he tells us what you should choose. We have to have the love of God. The greatest of these is charity. We just had our focus on the fatherless um, and, and what I've realized is that when you, when you understand the love of God, when God transforms your heart in that way, then your ministry to kids, your ministry to the fatherless changes absolutely. Because those are ministries where the return on investment isn't that giant. Man, we praise the Lord, we work on evangelism with kids, but there is no way that we're going to have a church of 500, eight year olds. They don't have anywhere to get here. And they don't tithe, so we'd be in trouble. <laughs> It's not a church where we're focused on the things that you can. Man, if you have the love of God, it transforms your ministry to these kids because you, re- you realize they're important because God loves them. And, and God loves me the same way He loves them. So, man, I have to minister to them. With the fatherless, we see in Psalms 68, the psalm says. In verse four, sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah, and rejoice before him. Praise the Lord. Why? Psalm 68, five describes who God is. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. So if that's God's heart, and we have the love of God, we love God, we love the people that God has given us to love, then that's our heart, church. That's how the fatherless is key to this, because God loves the fatherless, so of course we're gonna love them. And God's put the solitary in families. And these days, the the, the heartbreaking thing is where are all the families of God? I mean, where, where are the people that minister? And this applies not just to the fatherless, but it also uh, applies to our Bible studies and every ministry that we have, our fellowships as a whole, the small groups, the, the groups of fellowship and, and com- the co-laborers in Christ that we have. Are we looking at those people as, as, man, I love them because God loved me and we have the love of God motivating us? Or more often is it, yeah, my fellowship leader says I should really be focusing more on this Man, I just I don't have a lot of time, but he, this is important so I got to do it. What's our what's our motivation? What's our heart? We're transformed. We have a real spiritual impact by the love of God. We care about the things God cares about. I know we just had giving Tuesday in the past, but where was your heart for the fatherless? We heard a few stories from from Pradeep and from Ryan. Man, was your heart broken over those things, or were you, hmm, that's a good ministry? And it's not just fatherless. It's the things that God cares about in general. Do we have God's heart? If we do, it changes the way that we respond. In First John 5, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous when you're getting corrected, is it grievous sometimes? When someone has hard truth to speak into your life, is it fun to listen to? I man, if we love God, we'll be like David, and someone points out sin, and our response is, man, I don't want anything between me and God, because I, I can't afford that. If I start letting things between me and God, then I have no chance of equipping and, and being used by God to protect those that are in the, in the flock of little kids that I minister to, The Bible says, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Do we go see, talk to those in authority over us? Hey, is there anything I'm doing wrong, man? Because I can't abide having sin in my life. Or if we do something wrong, do we minimize it and hide it? Yeah, pray for my family. It's, you know, It's been a frustrating season. Do you mean it's been a frustrating season or do you mean you've been a jerk to your family? Yeah. Pray for me, just, uh, I've heard this one. I'm struggling with my eyes. Is that what the Bible calls it when you lust after a woman? Are we in the position of hiding our sins or minimizing our sins in front of our spiritual authorities so we look better and feel less word, less bad? Like, oh yeah, it's not that big of a deal. His response was soft. He said, it's okay, man. Keep serving the Lord and I'm good. Or does it break our heart? It changes the way we respond. It changes the way we minister. You know, I, I, uh, Brayden and I have very different personalities, and there's no example of that better than the example of wrestling because Braden loves wrestling. I did wrestling, and there's a difference. <laughs> Brayden would, um, every day at practice, we're driving there, I'm sitting in the front seat like, oh, my gosh. Gotta go to wrestling. And Braden's in the backseat like, we get to go to wrestling. I'm gonna hurt that man. I'm gonna hurt that man. It's gonna be so good. And so Braden loved wrestling, so much so that we we did these, you know, we did wrestling in the summer and there was a particular summer where Braden saved up his money and did a two-week Eternal Warrior wrestling camp in the mountains. He like paid for it himself to go into the mountains and wrestle for like 16 hours a day for two weeks. He came back and was like, that was awesome. I gotta save up enough money to do it again. And I was like, dude, I can't make it through a practice <laughs> without wanting to go home and do anything else. I'll wash dishes before I'll wrestle, right? Brayden loved wrestling, and so he couldn't get enough of it. His mindset, his desire was towards this thing. Wrestling had his heart, and now, man, praise the Lord, God has his heart. And, and what if we as a church were all as excited about ministry as Brayden was about wrestling? What if we as a church got the love of God and decided that we were gonna be about the business of God, not because we wanna be impressive, not because we want approval or any kind of resources from it, but rather what if we love God because he loved us and we're motivated by that and we can't get enough of ministry and when we're being good stewards of our time because we have to, we can't sign up for everything. But while we're being good stewards of our time and resources, we say, man, I wish I could be there but I wish I could be a part of that ministry because it has my heart and what God has, has my heart. Except man, I've, I've, I'm already at a place where God's given me so much and we're functioning motivated by that love instead of by, well, I'm supposed to do this and my ministry leader said this and guys, we have to avoid the trap of Gehazi. If you're wondering we're, we're here at the close. We're, we're close to the end. And if you're wondering how to get the love of God, I saved it for the end because it's really simple to explain. 1 John 3.16 tells us where we find it. And I know it's on the screen, but if you guys want to turn there, I'm going to give you a second to actually turn there and read it in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, I marked this on mine. This is is the key that Gehazi was missing. This is the key that we have to be purposeful in finding because it is is the default state of man to miss this, to miss the love of God. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's where we see it. And I know that's a familiar concept, but the Bible is true, and that if we consider the work that's done at the cross that we've heard about a 100 times, or 1,000 times, or 10,000 times, and if we consider what Christ did for us, and we let that resonate, and we let that actually encompass who we are, then that becomes the thing that gives us the love of God. It's, it's in Christ Jesus our Lord, says Romans 8.39. The Holy Ghost helps in Romans 5.5, 5, but, it's, but it's in the sacrifice of Christ and the cross that we get to see the love of God, because if we consider that, maybe you're someone that's lifted up in pride, if you consider that Christ died on the cross for your sins, oh, I'm, I'm just going to be really impressive in ministry, says young Andrew, Christ had to die for the sin in my life. I don't want anybody to be like me. This isn't what ministry looks like. I'm so grateful for Christ dying on the cross for my sins and now I get to teach kids this and they have to get it. The next generations have to get it or we're just gonna be like one of those other Old Testament stories talking about when God used to work at Midtown. And if you're somebody who feels like you're not worth it Oh, man, I've already done a lot. You don't have to tell me that Christ died for my sins. Okay. Christ died for you. You're worth dying for to the God of heaven and earth. I'm afraid that the familiarity of John 3.16 can often become something that we just look right by. Yeah, the cross is the reason that we preach. What happened on the cross? Let's consider it because if we wake up and we consider what God did on the cross and then we've got kids that are being annoying or we've got Bible study people that are going through life crisis, it's not, oh man, I gotta deal with this guy again. It's God died for them the same way he died for me and man, anything that I can give, I want to be a part of that. I'm desperate for my ministry to be full of people that are growing in Christ and that love God and that get it and that are envisioned and they can't miss it. I can't be like Elijah and Gehazi. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we're going to close in prayer in a second, but it's the first verse that most of us learn, and it's John 3:16. And recently this week, I've been reading it and, and the way that God's speaking to me about the cross. Church, could we please pray that we would have God's heart and that we would have God's love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, My daughter's due date is Thursday. And so for me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, But have everlasting life. So, church, here's the invitation. If we've been motivated by the wrong thing, if we're not moved and filled with the love of God, then don't hide it. Today's the day to talk to those around you, to, to talk to your authorities and say, Hey, I'm I'm doing this thing wrong. Lord forgive me. I'm a sinner. And we also know that, man, this, this love of God doesn't come except through Christ. I haven't even mentioned the world's definition of love uh, in this whole sermon, because it doesn't matter. It's not real. If you're somebody that doesn't know Christ, if you've never considered the cross and never considered what that might mean, then this, this love is not accessible to you, except Christ offers to have a relationship with you, just like he did with all of us. So wherever we're at in ministry, whether we're Elisha, whether we're whether we're not even saved and not sure of it, man, Christ loves you so much that he died on the cross for you in church. Let's consider that. Let's be motivated by that. Let's let that be the thing that gives us victory. So I'm going to pray for us. God, please speak to your church, speak to our heart. Lord, we're desperate for you to work. Um, except you work, we know we're building a house in vain. And that this thing that that is happening now is gonna be a story of what God used to do years from now. Lord, we don't wanna waste our time. We don't wanna waste our lives. And so God, let us receive the love of God. Let us perceive it in your word and in the work of the cross. And God, we ask as a church that you would transform us. Lord, help us. We can't get all the way there on our own. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.